Hello, this is uh, Professor Tofano, and I'm going to talk about Chapter 6, Nonverbal Communication, in the Interplay uh, textbook, Interpersonal Communication, page 171. And again, this will be highlights. I'm not going to read every word, um, every paragraph, every syllable, every uh, yacht or tittle, and not going to um, uh, just read to you, I will highlight the portions that I think are, at least from my perspective, most important in the chapter. That doesn't mean that everything that is in the chapter is not important, but I am only going to highlight it. So my advice is, and will be for every chapter, to read the chapter and listen to the audio, uh, my audio, or listen to the audio, then read the chapter that uh, would be ideal because ultimately there is so much good information in this chapter, in these chapters, in this book that you really don't want to miss out on that. So do the best you can um, to read um, and also listen. Okay, so chapter 6, Nonverbal Communication, begins on page 171 in the textbook and ends on page 199 or, or 200. 199, and then the check your understanding, and the terms are on page 199, 200, and 201. So do the best you can, either before you read or listen to the audio, whichever, whichever, you know, process you go through. Uh, I would read the check your understanding sections, the key terms and activities. Uh, I do choose um, quizzes from the chapters in. Also, terms will are a part of uh, the quiz, so you get to memorize and understand those terms. Okay, the chapter outline, it's broken down into uh, three sections. Um, nonverbal communication defined, the characteristics of nonverbal communication, function of, functions of nonverbal communication, and then the types of nonverbal communication. So on page 172, 173, I should say, it, there is a definition of nonverbal communication. It says if non means not and verbal means with words, then it seems logical that nonverbal communication would involve communication without words. This definition, although it may be an oversimplification um, because it fails to distinguish between vocal communication by the mouth and verbal communication with words, some nonverbal messages have a vocal element. For example, the words I love you have different meanings depending upon the way that they are spoken. The way that they're spoken. Furthermore, some non-spoken forms of communication, including sign language and, uh, used in the deaf community, are actually linguistic and not really nonverbal in the sense that most social scientists use the term. Therefore, a better definition, if it's not too confusing at this point, is nonverbal communication are messages exchanged by non-linguistic means. So that does sound very academic, but uh, it is very accurate in defining nonverbal communication, non-linguistic means. So non-linguistic messages are important because what we do often conveys more meaning than what we say. So is communication behavior? Is communication um, words and non-words, which is a behavior that communicates? So that is an interesting question that hopefully we'll, we'll kind of get to as the chapter and for sure as the class um, proceeds.
It says, you may, you may ask how nonverbal communication can be very powerful or so powerful. At first glance, it seems as if meaning comes from words. To answer the question, recall a time when you observed speakers of unfamiliar language communicating. Although you couldn't understand the words being spoken, there were plenty of clues that gave you an idea of what was going on in the exchange. By tuning into their facial expressions, posture, gestures, vocal tones, and other behaviors, you probably made assumptions about the way the communicator felt about one another, the communicators felt about one another in the moment, at that moment, and got some idea about the nature of the relationship. Okay, so characteristics of nonverbal communication, page 174, and going forward, it says all behavior has communicative value. Nonverbal communication is primarily relational. Nonverbal communication is ambiguous. Nonverbal communication occurs in mediated message messages. Nonverbal communication is influenced by culture and gender. So those are some highlights of this section. It says all behavior has communicative value. All behavior has communicative value. Now, uh, that could be somewhat of a controversial position because then the question is, uh, so then the statement says that um, behavior equals communication. And uh, so then the question is, can you behave in a way that doesn't communicate? So can you behave in a way that doesn't communicate? So if you are sleeping, and say you're sleeping in a hammock, and someone walks up to you and looks at you sleeping, are you communicating to them? So if you're sleeping in a hammock and someone was to walk up and see you sleeping and got close enough to see that you're alive but you're just sleeping or not awake, um, are you communicating? So when you are sleeping, are you communicating? Well, it depends upon how communication is defined. So if it is true that all behavior has communicative value, does that mean that all behavior equals communication. And so depending upon the scholar or the teacher or instructor professor who's discussing it, some would say that they would um, kind of quibble with that definition that all behavior has communicative value. Uh, I'm one that doesn't believe that uh, all behavior has communicative value. However, we'll explain at least from the author's perspective here um, what they mean by that. It says some Smart people suggest that all nonverbal behavior communicates information. So, nonverbal behavior is information. So, is all information uh, behavior? You could ask it another way. Uh, they argue that it's impossible not to communicate. Again, depending upon how you define it, then you could say it's impossible. Um, you can understand the impossibility of non-communication by considering what you would do if someone told you not to communicate any message at all. Even if you closed your eyes and left, uh, or left the room, these behaviors would communicate messages that meant you were avoiding contact. Um, again, that's an interesting uh, philosophical idea. When communicators were told not to exchange nonverbal cues, others viewed them as dull, withdrawing, uneasy, 
aloof and deceptive. So that is the uh, interpretation of not communicating by that by those individuals. So the impossibility of not communicating is significant because it means that each of us is a kind of transmitter that cannot be shut off. No matter what we do, we send messages that something that say something about ourselves and our relationship with others. For instance, if others were observing you now with nonverbal uh, clues. Would they get? Would they know how you're feeling? Even uncontrollable behaviors can convey a message. So, if a behavior conveys a message, so if communication is uh, manipulating signs and symbols in an attempt to create some shared meaning, which is uh, a kind of a simple definition of interpersonal communication, you could see how that would be um, at odds with at least this section where the authors are uh, making the assumption that all behavior is communication. It says here that um, even uncontrollable behaviors can convey a message. You may not intend to show that you're embarrassed, but your blushing could give you away. Of course, not all behaviors will be interpreted correctly. Um, and again, the idea of information and how we uh, gain access to information and then how we use it to create meaning would be this idea of interpretation. So I think even in this section, the author may be working against themselves. It says, but whether or not your behavior is intentional or whether it's unintentional or it's not interpreted accurately, uh, they're arguing that all behavior has the potential to create messages. So um, that is an interesting idea. Moving on to nonverbal communication is primarily relational. Some nonverbal messages serve practical functions. For example, a police officer directs the flow of traffic or a team of street surveys uses hand motions to coordinate their work, but nonverbal communication also serves a far more common and more interesting series of social functions. Nonverbal communication allows us to demonstrate the kind of relationship we have or want to have with others. You can appreciate this fact by thinking about a wide range of ways you could behave when greeting another person. You could wave, shake hands, nod, smile, clap, uh, clap the other person on the back, give them some knuckles. Um, you could do fist bumps, give them a hug, or avoid all contact. Each of these behaviors sends a message about the nature of the relationship with the other person. Again, maybe it does, uh, maybe it doesn't. Uh, in the age of uh, viruses and being concerned about catching a virus from making contact with someone, uh, creating a bit of distance and not making physical contact may communicate uh, something. So it just depends. It's contextual. Next is nonverbal communication is ambiguous. It says here, um, they talk about in chapter five, and hopefully you'll have listened to uh, the audio for chapter five, but it says in chapter five, we pointed out how some language can be ambiguous. For example, uh, that the statement, the nose piercing really makes you stand out, could be a compliment or a criticism or a vague statement. I'm almost done can mean you have to wait a few minutes or an hour. Most nonverbal behavior has the potential to be even more ambiguous than verbal statements, than these verbal statements. To understand why, consider how you would interpret silence from your companion during an evening together. Think of all the possible meanings of this nonverbal behavior. 
Warmth, anger, preoccupation, boredom, nervousness, thoughtfulness, and po uh, the possibilities may be endless. The ambiguity of nonverbal behavior is illustrated when a supermarket chain tried to emphasize a customer-friendly approach. So some of you work in customer service. Uh, many of you do. And so um, if you work in customer service, your employer probably has some rules about how to interact with customers, whether they're nice or mean or rude. Most organizations have some policy, and typically to generalize, uh, their policy would be to be nice to the customer, even if the customer is a jerk, still try to be nice and try to be patient and understanding even when the customer is jerky. Uh, kind of all of the training has some version of that. So the expectation is that the employee has a much higher burden and standard in regards to how they interact than the customer has. So if the customer is a jerk, they still could, retain, they could still maintain a customer. If the employee is a jerk, they could get fired. And so whatever the inequity is there, that is true of most organizations, that they value the people that purchase their products or services, or they value the people that they provide services to. And so um, there is no equal standard for acceptable behavior. Um, as an employee, your bar is much, much higher. You could say the same exact thing a customer says, and the customer can remain a customer, and you could get in trouble, disciplined, and or fired. And I think most of you do know that. So there was one example here in the book, I think it's an interesting one, that says that an uh, organization tried to improve their customer service. So basically they told everybody, smile more at the customers. When you interact with the customers, be more pleasant, be uh, smile, uh, be jovial, um, greet them with pleasantries, those kind of things. And so that just makes good sense um, if you're trying to uh, maintain or improve customer service. I mean, that would be, again, a generalized program that almost every company out there probably operates under similar principles. However, uh, sometimes the customer can take that uh, pleasantness, pleasantness and those smiles and that um, um, ingratiation and uh, misinterpret that as not the organization's perspective on treating all customers, but they could personalize it and think to themselves that the, the employee, clerk, maybe in this sense, is directing their attention towards them personally, and it is an indication that they like that person personally, and then the customer could interpret that message as the employee is trying to create some type of uh, friendly, maybe even romantic interpersonal connection rather than just um, following the new customer service enhancement program. And if you're in customer service, you, you're sure that you've had this happen. It may happen more to female humans than male humans that are in customer service. I don't know. But it is true that the person that you are smiling at or the person that you are uh, gazing at, the person that you are presenting a very positive uh, um, you know, posture and, and your voice and all these nonverbal indicators of liking, again, could be misinterpreted as something personal rather than just the corporate face 
of the organization trying to be pleasant with the customers. So there's a lot of ambiguity. So in this case here, it said that um, um, they instructed employees to smile and make eye contact with customers. I also call that gaze, G-A-Z-E. With customers, extended gaze could be uh, interpreted as liking. That would be somewhat normal. You have to put in a context. Several clerks filed grievances when some customers mistook, this, mistook the service with a smile approach to a sexual come on. Um, so as this uh, illustrates, nonverbal cues are much more ambiguous than verbal statements when it comes to expressing a willingness, willingness to become physically involved with another person. Because nonverbal behavior is so ambiguous, caution is wise when you are responding to nonverbal cues rather than jumping to conclusions about the meaning of a sigh, a smile, a slam door, a yawn. It's better to use perception checking, I think we talked about that before, to really try to understand the meaning of that um, nonverbal behavior. Moving on to nonverbal communication occurs in uh, uh, mediated messages. So in regards to texting and emailing, basically any type of communication between two humans that is typed into, a, into some type of little keyboard or screen, um, anything that is mediated in a sense, you could also have um, use emoticons and to communicate the emotion of the message. And you could see where you could say, they use the example of you're driving me crazy. So if you just saw the words, um, five words, you are driving me crazy. If you just saw those five words um, in a mediated message, something that is typed into a keyboard and sent to you electronically, and you looked at that, it could be interpreted many ways. Driving me crazy as in that's funny, ha ha. Driving me crazy as in um, mean or driving me crazy as in some type of sexual come on, uh, some type of um, physical excitement about another. So you could see just using those three examples, which I don't know if they're great examples, but it is in the book. Moving on, on page 178, to nonverbal communication is influenced by culture and gender. So culture differs in their nonverbal language as well as their verbal ones, for sure. And it says here some nonverbal messages called emblems or culture understood which are substitutes for verbal expression. Nodding a head up and down is, is an accepted way of saying yes in most cultures. And shaking your head side to side uh, is no. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, across different countries and nations, and um, that seems to be something that is quite universal, actually. Shaking your head up and down, and then side to side. Um, we interpret that almost identical across various cultures and, and nations, which is really interesting. Now, not all, for sure, but it is kind of interesting. Uh, they use the gesture as a thumbs up, which um, for from the American United States perspective, uh, we interpret it as good job, but you can see how uh, maybe in other cu countries uh, some of these different hand motions and finger motions and arm motions and uh, body contortions can be interpreted differently. I don't think there's anything weird or odd about that. I mean, communication is almost always contextual, and culture is a context. So it could be a culture is a small group of people, <clears throat> could be a larger group of people, 
that view the world um, in very uh, similar ways. So we do that with our own subculture groups and our friend groups and those kind of things. So we understand that certain uh, body contortions or ways that we use our fingers or hands can be interpreted differently. I'm not so sure that that's <clears throat> strange, bizarre. Um, what else here? It says, although some nonverbal expressions may be universal, uh, in some cultures an over overt demonstration of feelings, such as happiness or anger, are discouraged. In other cultures, the same feelings are perfectly appropriate. Sex or, gen uh, sex or uh, um, gender also influence nonverbal communication. With the rare exception, the differences between the sexes holds true across cultures. In general, females are more nonverbally expressive than males, and they are better at interpreting, interpreting other, others' nonverbal behavior. More specifically, research summarized by this person named Hall shows that compared to men, women smile more, use more facial expressions, use more head, hand, arm gestures, touch others more, stand closer to others, are more vocally expressive, and make more eye contact. So again, this is in comparison to men. So you could say men smile less, men use less facial expressions, men use less hand gestures, men touch less, men stand further away, men are less vocally expressive, and men may make less eye contact, especially um, continued, uh, uninterrupted eye contact. Despite these differences, men in women's nonverbal communication patterns, they have a lot, lot in common. So yes, even though there are some differences between the men and women, certainly they have a lot more in common. Makes sense. Okay, moving on to functions of nonverbal communication. Functions of nonverbal communication, page 180. There are a couple of headings here, creating and maintaining relationships, regulating interaction, influencing others, concealing and deceiving, managing impressions. I think we'll save for the uh, next section of this chapter. So creating and maintaining relationships. It says, as, you, as you've read in Chapter 9, which... Hopefully you've read Chapter 9. Communication is our primary means for beginning, maintaining, and ending relationships. Nonverbal behavior plays an important role during every relational stage. Consider the importance of nonverbal communication at the beginning of a relationship. When we first meet another person, our initial goal is to reduce our uncertainty about them. We ask ourselves questions such as, would I like to know this person better? And is this person interested in me? One of the first ways we answer these questions is by observing nonverbal cues, including facial expressions, eye contact, posture, gender, excuse me, gestures, and tone of voice. And the process occurs rapidly, often in a matter of seconds. At the same time we're sizing up others, we're also providing nonverbal cues about our attitudes towards them simultaneously. Uh, imagine how odd it would be to say or hear such words as, I'm friendly, I'm relaxed, you look pretty interesting, but I won't pursue this unless you give me a sign. Kind of silly. But messages like that are communicated non-verbally. Non-verbal cues are just as important in establishing ongoing relationships in which they both create and signal the emotional climate. So non-verbal communication signals the emotional climate. For example, non-verbal displays of affection, such as sitting close, holding hands, winks, and gazes are strongly connected to satisfaction and commitment in romantic relationships. And then, of course, the inverse would be true. 
if there is some type of dissatisfaction, it would be the opposite. Not sitting close, not holding hands, those kind of things. Makes sense, right? Moving on to regulating interaction. Nonverbal communication regulates interaction. Nonverbal regulators are cues that help us control verbal interaction. The best example, uh, best example of regulation is the wide array of turn-taking signals in everyday conversation. These three nonverbal signals that indicate a speaker has finished talking and is ready to yield to a listener are one, changes their vocal intonation, a rising or falling pitch towards the end of a clause, a drawl in the last cylinder, a syllable, or the stressed syllable in a clause, a drawl, drawl, on the last syllable, or the stressed syllable in a clause. And third, a drop in vocal pitch or loudness when speaking a common expression such as, you know, and bringing that to a close, the vocal pitch, is an indicator of it's your turn. Eye contact is another way of regulating verbal communication. In conversations, the person listening typically looks more at the speaker than in reverse. When the speaker seeks a response, he or she signals by looking at the listener, creating a, a brief period of mutual gaze called a gaze window. At this point, the listener is likely to respond with a nod, uh-huh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, or other similar reaction, after which the speaker looks away and continues speaking. Then the next section um, talks about influencing others, nonverbal communication influences others. How we look, act, and sound could be more important in meeting our goals than the words we speak. The influence of nonverbal behavior comes in many forms. It can capture attention such as showing show or increased liking, generate power, or boost credibility. Next, concealing or deceiving. We may value, honor, we may value and honor the truth, but many of the messages we exchange are not completely truthful. Sometimes we keep silent, sometimes we hedge, sometimes we downright lie. Um, and then it says refer to chapter 3. We talk about that in chapter 3. Much of it is aimed at saving the face of, of the communicators involved. For example, you might pretend to have a good time at a family celebration or a business event even though you're bored senseless. In other cases, you may lie to save your own face and avoid embarrassment. Oh, of course I read that message you sent me. In situations such as these and many others, it's easy to see how nonverbal factors can make a face-saving deception either successful or fail. When verbal and nonverbal messages conflict, we tend to believe the nonverbal. It's easy to manipulate the words that we speak, but very difficult to control and manipulate the body, the body language, and the nonverbal channels. That's why most people monitor and self-monitor nonverbal cues, facial expression, eye contact, posture, vocal, pitch, and rate when trying to detect or conceal deception. Okay, despite the, these challenges, there are some nonverbal clues that may reveal dishonest communication. So, even though nonverbal communication is ambiguous, despite those challenges, there are some nonverbal clues that may reveal dishonest communication. For example, deceivers typically make more speech errors than truth tellers, stammers, stutters, hesitations, false starts, and so on. Vocal pitch often rises when people tell lies and liars pause longer before offering answers than do truthful tellers, truth tellers. 
Perhaps most significantly, because it's a physio physiological reaction that's not easy to control, liars' pupils tend to dilate because of the arousal associated with fibtailing. That's why many professional poker players wear sunglasses to hide their eyes because they may reveal the truth. Similar to pupil dilation, the face sometimes reveals a liar's true feelings in brief unconscious displays. So there are some micro-expressions that happen that we're, we can't control. Without being aware, liars may leak how they genu genuinely feel through brief furrows of the brow, pursing of the lips, or crinklings around the eyes. Micro-expressions micro are more likely to occur during what's known as high-stakes lying versus low-stakes or medium-stakes lying, such as when there are severe punishments for being caught. Keep in mind that slow-motion recordings and trained professionals are often required to pick up these micro-expressions, but some of you have become experts at detecting micro-expressions, I am sure. Okay. So I'm going to, that's page 185. I'm going to stop there and pick up managing impressions for the next session, section I should say. This is Professor Tafano, Professor Tafano, and I'm out.